you are listening to a night dream. The night dream podcast. Well, uh, one day I would like to finish the two books that I started. You are listening to a night dream. The night dream podcast. Hello, you're listening to episode six of the Night Dream podcast. You've made it through the tedium of the working week, and now you can enjoy some night dreams. These night dreams are preoccupied with ageless things, old, new, and new, old. Tags for this episode are ancient Rome, cowboys, artists, love, painting, hogs, France, the Nintendo Switch, everyone who has ever died, and ancient things. Emperor of Rome. Good morning, Emperor. You are gently awoken by a kind, smiling assistant. I have taken the liberty of organizing your first meal to be brought to your chamber as you have a busy day of official duties ahead. Very good, you respond. The words have a finality to them, and your assistant leaves. You are the best emperor Rome has ever had, beloved by all the council, your people, and even shamefully for them, your enemies. For breakfast, you enjoy poached eggs on toast and black coffee, a modern choice, proving how ahead of your time you are. Very good, you think to yourself. You don your favorite purple robe, and it looks great. The color is still very respected. Enjoying the time alone, you lazily hum a song that won't be written for thousands of years. You then make your way to the auditorium to hear the day's issues. The first surf is ushered in. He beholds you as if staring directly into the sun. Please, sir, large boar attack my vines at night as I sleep, and there isn't a thing I can do about it unless the gods grant me a vision of the pig's ruckus, which stirs me from my slumber so I might rouse my family to chase off the pigs. You nod, giving him a wise, Mmm. When the filthy grape grower catches their breath, they lay prostrate and a clamour erupts. You nod and inhale. The crowd is immediately quiet. A pin drops, but lands on fabric, making no noise. Winemaker, you begin. Before you make any more wine, first promise me you will do this. You will build a fence around your vineyard. As you explain the concept of a fence, a councilman faints. In the confusion, you notice an enemy spy jot down a chalk drawing of a fence on a slate tablet. You nod magnanimously. Why shouldn't the people of the north have the means to shield their crops from feral pigs too? All is well, and the rest of the day proves to be uneventful. Soon fences can be seen all over the Roman Empire and beyond. More time passes, and Rome prospers under your rule. You draft plans for the world's first Nintendo Switch. Unfortunately, even your most skilled fabricators are unable to realize your designs. Forlorn, you put on a brave face and dutifully govern until your dying day. Your eventual death rocks Rome, and although the city would remain for hundreds of years, Rome's heart dies with you. Mors mihi lucrum. This night dream is called Gorgeous Alien Cowboy the year is 999 666 AD, 
and as the most beautiful alien of your home planet, it is your duty to scout out POIs, or planets of interest, using your super-fast alien technology. Although at the time you didn't know it, the next planet would be the most interesting of all. Earth. What a shock it was to you, sat in your invisible spaceship, spying on the then penniless and unfamous Vincent van Gogh. He is beautiful, you thought, keeping quiet so as not to alert the ship's onboard voice-activated recorder, designed to make note-taking a less arduous experience. Enthralled by his beauty, you follow him to London, Belgium, and eventually Provence. Had you but known that humans could die, you would have saved him. You weep and weep, curled up in a bunk of your spaceship. Inconsolable, you travel to what is now modern-day Texas. Your mission abandoned, you preoccupy yourself with the arts. By this time, you've taken a firm interest in both Impressionism and modern-day cowboy tailoring. You learn what it means to compromise, keeping your navy blue painter's smock tucked into your riding chaps. It's that time of year again. It always comes around so fast. Jeff nods a solemn thanks as you finish the year's cattle drive. The moment the last bull rushes into its pen, you leave. It rains as you make the long flight from Austin, Texas, to Uvers-sur-Oise. Although nobody recognised him during his lifetime, it brings a tear to your alien eyes to see how future humans decorate his grave. You doff your ten-gallon and exhale. Sometimes, life can be so sad. This next night dream is called The Climbers. You wake up from the blackness, half submerged in a peat bog where you've been resting for thousands of years. It has kept your clothes quite intact. From where you're lying, you see two people. They're like you, but different, and you stay still as they climb a nearby rock face. They're more skilled than any climber from your tribe, and even more alien to you, they seem to not fear the obvious danger of falling. Maybe no one in their tribe has ever fallen, so they don't know the danger, you think. Everyone in your tribe has heard a traumatic story of someone falling, and the tribes often share knowledge between each other. These people are clearly different. They are clad in colours that you've never seen before, fluorescent yellows and pinks. Instead of stretched hide, they wear fur clothes over their bodies. Their feet are strangely shaped and black like tar, you try to lift your arms, but you're unable to. The bog holds many captives, and although you owe it your life, you fear you will never escape from it. You gasp as one of the climbers falls, knowing from experience that broken bones often end in death. They fall onto a soft rock that catches them. It's the same bright colour as their clothes, and light enough for them to drag from place to place. Without stopping to help their friend, the other climber starts attempting the same ascent, your brain quickly allocates new space for these creatures that appear like you, but without fear or challenge. You lie still and listen to them, hoping to understand some of their secrets. You read in the rock that many people have climbed this route since you were first submerged, and the climbers dip their hands in tiny bags that hang off their waists. Their hands emerge covered in magic dust. It stains them white like crushed up bones. You've never seen this practice before but the powder guides their hands and they move more confidently. 
They speak to each other rapidly and you don't understand a word. In your time, language was focused on listening for dangers. Their speech is like a lullaby to you and their sentences are punctuated by laughter. Two more of them arrive and they produce incredibly intricate jugs and bowls. They appear to weigh nothing more than air and you've never smelt anything like what they contain. There is enough food to feed a tribe for many nights and they share the feast equally and generously. It reminds you of your friends, one of which was the first person to drag a stick along a piece of bark to make music. Your first reaction is jealousy, but then sadness at the realisation that in the long time you have spent in the bog, you've forgotten the smells that you used to live with, and now only know the smell of tar. They live in a world so far beyond your comprehension that the bog's warmth and unyielding hold comfort you. The climbers sit after lunch, talking, and if two of them conversing was exciting, the complexity that four of them creates is mind-boggling. As you begin to submerge, the climbers continue to talk, and their voices guide you like a choir bearing witness to a casket. You recognise your view into a different world as a privileged one, and you are now willing to let go of the world again. As your muscles loosen, you sink deeper into the bog, hoping never to be found and never to see light again. Your brain remains intact and warm. The last night dream for this episode is called First Day at a New Job. It is your first day at a new job and you're tasked with organising a memorial for every person who has ever died. This was outlined in the job description, but you didn't expect to get the job and you've been dreading your first day. You call up your parents to tell them how your first day went, and although you aren't necessarily asking for their help, they offer it. You acknowledge that sometimes a fresh perspective can help to solve a problem, and they're very keen to help, but sadly their generation hasn't really managed much when it comes to honouring the dead. Of course their generation claim to honour the dead, but when it comes down to it, they are very picky about who they choose to honour, and when. You tell your dad that a memorial is too small scale, and you've heard people in the office laughing at our cemeteries. He looks deflated, but you don't ease up, telling him that you even heard someone say that they look like ugly little houses for the dead to rot in. You've had new jobs before, and the next day you can tell that your colleagues are trying to get the measure of you, so you knew not to say anything too out there until you have the measure of them. You begin working. You start work properly on the third day, You attempt to paint a beautiful scene based loosely off a painting in your grandparents' house. A luscious garden scene with rich, dense foliage surrounding a table set for two. The chairs are wicker, painted white, and the cushions have a cross pattern in orange and red. The chairs stand on large, irregular, white paving stones. Although the scene is already rich with flowers, you place a stone vase on the table filled with light pink and white miniature hydrangeas. They cast a shadow onto the table. You're thinking very hard about whether to add a pot of tea or coffee, but you can't decide. Your first week on the job is nearly up, and you're excited for a few days off. You've definitely earned them. You text a friend to sagely tell them that the stressful part isn't learning the new job itself, more so learning your different colleagues' expectations. They don't text back because what you said is boring and borderline annoying. 
Besides, you've still got four weeks until your probation period runs out and you're a full member of the team. You receive an email from your manager who wants to schedule a meeting so you can update them on your project. How does 2pm sound? Of course it sounds great, so at 2pm you walk down the hall into an empty conference room. Go ahead, they say, so you unveil the painting. My idea is that there's a chair for you, the person looking at the painting, and then another chair for whoever you are thinking of, you say. That way, there's space for everybody who has ever been alive and will be. Your manager looks pleased. It's time for your lunch break and you're starving. At your old job, you packed a pack lunch, but the canteen here is really good and you're determined to make the most of it before you become sick of it. Your boss enters the canteen and says everyone's going for a drink to celebrate the end of the week. Would you like to come for a few? Of course, you say. And like any work drinks, you have about five before you realise that you haven't eaten any dinner. You get a taxi home and mumble, Saturday's a write-off, as you try to unlock your front door. As you fall asleep, your hand is gripping another hand that is not yours and is not there. You cannot see anything, but feel calm. The air is cool but dense and seems to stretch on into infinity. You've broken the cycle and can now stay asleep forever.